I'm going to talk about a topic that doesn't get talked about very much in the wine business. When we talk about selling wine, what is usually what is being discussed? The product. The product is being discussed. Almost all wine training, and you know, I hate to generalize, but I'll have to to make a point. There are plenty of companies that do a great job selling wine consistently and profitably. But from my experience, the vast majority of companies are far too enamored with the product itself and, and not nearly enough with the business acumen and the, and the result side of uh, selling wine. Um, you know, how, how is it that the most competitive, most complex consumer product category in the world, I mean, you would think that we would have the most advanced, uh, strategic, rigorous processes for selling and meeting our objectives, right? And, and not only is wine the most complex and, uh, you know, prolific uh, consumer product categories, well, also one of the oldest. I mean, wine's been around since Noah wore short pants. It is a very, very old consumer product category. And so we've had thousands of years to develop our, our strategy. You would think that along the continuum of sales process maturity, wine would be on the leading edge. We've had all these years to practice. But it's just really, it's really not the case. Um, and, and what I intend to get into today is a little bit more about why that is. Um, so the, it, if, if wine is the most consumer, uh, competitive consumer product category, uh, part of the problem in selling it is you have to do a lot of explaining, right, to the, to the buyers. And so people tend to focus on that. And I don't mean to pick on the wine category so much, because this is a spirits conference too. It's just easier to pick on the wine piece, because in beer and spirits, they do not go to the crazy lengths that we do in the wine business to study the product and get certification. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to offend anyone about that. It's great. I, the, the master psalms and the uh, masters of wine are the rock stars of our industry, and they deserve our respect. I'm just saying that from a business standpoint, there is no other uh, alcoholic beverage category that has this problem that wine has. And that is we cannot control the, the, uh, you know, uh, the supply uh, as agile, in an agile way like you can with beer or spirits. If you want to make less vodka, you just make less vodka. You, you shut the still off for a day or two. If you want to make less beer, you just brew less beer. Wine, we have this problem. All the grapes are in the vineyard, and they're coming this fall, and there's more coming next year. And thank God we have a bulk wine market because it allows us some flexibility. But for most people who are just selling branded goods, if you don't sell all the wine you make every single year, you've got serious problems. And anyone who's ever tried to sell a, a back vintage or get backed up several vintages knows what I'm talking about. So I, I'm here to challenge you to, to pay more attention to the business side. I'm not going to mention um, um, much at all. You're not going to learn about selling wine by me talking about wine. That's not what this is about. So for the course of human history, Technology has always uh, meant advancement, uh, improvement, right? A, a metal axe works better than a stone axe. As, as uh, technology uh, is supposed to increase things, and I have three examples to, to highlight this, and you'll probably see where I'm going. Any tennis players in the room? One, two. So this, this tennis racket is from the 70s, okay? And now imagine playing with this today. Imagine showing up at your club, right, with, with a racket like this, and you remember the covers that came with it. They're all plasticky, right? Whenever there's fierce competition, competition drives innovation. You find that in, in, in many, many areas. Um, another good example, and, and very topical, because the Tour de France was, was winding up this week. You know, this would have been considered a cutting-edge bicycle in the 60s. Anybody a cyclist in here? 
Anybody own an all-carbon bike? I mean, you could spend ten, twelve thousand dollars on a bicycle. Why? You could just use one of these. Why do people use those instead of these? Because whenever there's intense competition, it demands innovation. And and uh, here's what it looks like from the other end. You know, uh, I grew up in Rhode Island, home of the America's Cup until 1983. Um, the rules used to state that you couldn't race a boat unless you could sail it to the location. So everyone around the world was at a disadvantage because the boat had to be able to withstand a transatlantic crossing. Well, once the cup was moved to Australia and then back to San Diego, all those rules went away. So sailing is one of the most competitive sports and you can see the innovation that's taking place. So well, what's my point here? You know, when it comes to the wine, when it comes to the wine business, uh, we haven't really done a lot of innovation around the selling of wine. You know, uh, and this, this is why, and I, again, I get nothing against uh, wine and the love of wine and the passion for wine, but our sales people, and again, I'm generalizing, tend to spend way too much time doing this instead of understanding the business objectives of, of their uh, sales territory or, or, or whatever. And you know, when I was at St. Michelle, and we, they said we were going to do some training. Hey, you come to the National Sales Meeting. We've got you know, many hours of training. Guess what the training was? We sat down to a bunch of glasses on a mat and we learned about the product. That's sales training. You know, this, and you, those of you who work for other companies, you know this. Way too much emphasis on it. It's important and you should do it. But you've got to balance it out with some business acumen. I, I prefer this analogy. And not because, you know, boxing isn't what you, uh, everybody thinks it is. It just isn't about being strong and just punching really hard, although that's some of it. But boxing is one of the most strategic sports. It's a great analogy for selling because it, is, it is not, has little to do with strength and more to do with strategy and uh, studying your opponent, uh, pacing yourself. And it's also a great analogy because while there's 15 rounds in a boxing match, there are 12 rounds in the wine business. You've got 12 months to move through all of your inventory. So it's just a fantastic analogy. Um, and I, I think that we'd be uh, doing ourselves a favor by paying more attention to that. So who knows what this is? Anybody? Well, this is the most interactive crowd I have ever <laughs> interacted with. I'm going to have, that's a good thing that I entertain myself because I'm having a good time. This is a play. This is a page out of a playbook. Okay, right? X's and O's. You got to run here. You have all these plays. Well, there's a playbook in the wine business too, and here's what it's like: uh, get to know the distributor, spend time with the distributor, educate the distributor, uh, work with the distributor, incentivize the distributor, motivate the distributor. Does this sound familiar to anyone? If you're still running plays out of this playbook, you're going to continue to get terrible results. I have nothing against distributors. They're always going to be there, never going away. Here's the problem. They can't do what they used to do. There used to be uh, 3,000 distributors in the country. Now there's less than 700. It's happening all the time. But you would just, it's shocking to me how few people have uh, uh, woken up to this reality. They're still running the same playbook that they, that they used to play. So I'm going to give you some new plays today. And starting with this idea of heat loss, um, I like, I, I like to think that I created, I don't know, I, let's just say I did. When you, uh, when you turn your gas burner on on the stove to boil a pot of water, something like 70 to 80% of the energy that's being produced by this flame dissipates into the atmosphere. Only about 20 or 30% makes it to the pan 
and boils the water. But that's fine. It's plenty. It's enough to boil water. Nobody notices the heat loss. Well, one of the first things I want to bring your attention to when it comes to selling wine is there is a lot of heat loss amongst our sales teams. Salespeople are expensive, and they're very high maintenance, just people in general. And they're expensive, they travel, and uh, I, I know this is going to offend some people, but who cares, I have the microphone. Most salespeople do not instinctively act in their own best interest or even the company's interest. Uh, most salespeople do not make very, very disciplined use of their time. They just don't. Salespeople need direction. And it, it's not offensive to be directed, you know. Uh, our industry is so lucky. You would never get away with some of the crap that we get away with in our industry if you were on a sales team drawing a paycheck and having a company car and a bonus. You would, there, so much more would be expected of you in terms of accountability and results. So we have a lot of heat loss. And, and what it looks like in our industry are, you know, spending a long time driving between accounts, uh, going to accounts that are going to buy one time and never buy again, or, or they buy one case. And, or, or doing a wine dinner, uh, nothing against wine dinners, I've been to a lot, but most of them are a giant waste of time. Have you ever been to a really busy restaurant where there's a line out the door and you, it takes weeks to get in? Do they do wine dinners? No, they don't do wine dinners because or they don't need it. They've already packed all the time. The only people who do wine dinners are people who need more customers. And it's just a giant waste of time. Those are some examples of heat loss. Again, if I've offended you, I don't, I don't know what to say. So let's look, let's be strategic. Let's be like a boxer. Let's study the landscape of the marketplace. What does this represent? Anyone? Not you guys. Somebody else? This is the 80-20 rule. Some people think the 80-20 rule is just a clever theory that they teach in business school. It is not. It's deadly serious. It's accurate every single time for every consumer product category, every market, every tier of price, every type of wine. 80% of the business comes from 20% of the customers. 20% uh, of your distributor salespeople will produce 80% of the results. 20% of your own salespeople uh, will produce. It's just, it, you can use it on anything and everything. It's always right every time. It never lies. If you take your sales, your existing sales, and you put them in an Excel spreadsheet, put it in descending order volume, and you plot it to this graph, it's going to look just like that. Now, here's the scary thing. Uh, on the opposite end, the t what we call the tail, right? This is where a lot of salespeople spend their time. And we can't let them. Uh, there's something called the 80-20-30 rule, which says if you spend any time at all in the bottom third of the account base, you'll cut your potential in half. Think about that. So if I'm a sales leader of a sales team, and I have salespeople calling on those accounts on the other end, I think I consider that they are robbing from the company. We can't afford to be going down there. Part of the key to sales success is, is uh, having the discipline to identify the 20% of the accounts that are going to drive 80% of the business, and then restrict your sales activity and your investment to that, to that group. You want to grow 30 40% a year? That's how you do it. You ignore most customers. It takes a lot of discipline. Salespeople on their own won't do it. And in a minute, we're going to talk about how you can hold people accountable for that. But you ignore this at your peril. It's a fact. And it's shocking to me why more wine companies aren't paying attention. So how do you find out where the accounts are? That's, everybody asks me, how do I find out these 20%? You know, do I get it from the distributor? Uh, good luck with that. Um, but there, there is a way. And it has to do with, uh, if you, in the absence of real data, you use what's called surrogates. Anybody a statistic person? Uh, so for, here's one. Uh, there's a perfect correlation between foot traffic and wine sales volume perfect correlation. 
A restaurant that does 1,000 covers a night is going to sell a lot more wine than a restaurant that does 80 or 90. Uh, so as a result, uh, the restaurants in America that do most of the wine business, they, they have several things. They've got a huge outdoor patio, either out front or on the roof. Uh, they've got some kind of location that's beautiful to look at and they pack out the patio. Also, uh, restaurants with lots of private dining space do four or five times the volume of a regular restaurant. So as you study the market and you understand where is the volume being done, then you can identify these accounts. You don't need, the, the data exists today to do this on your own. If you don't have time, there's plenty of people who can help, including our firm. But the, you've got to spend time on this part of the, of the chart. So let me take this just a step further. This comes out of the, uh, the book from the Kellogg School of Business at Northwestern. The Complete Guide to Accelerating Salesforce Performance. I won't embarrass you by asking how many of you have read this book, but if you work for a winery and you have a sales team, uh, you might want to buy this book for the leader, because I don't think anyone in the indus our industry has, has read it. It it's, will clearly point out how you can accelerate sales. So the yellow or the pale, what, what is that? Yes, yellow on the monitor, a little paler there. The yellow represents market potential. And the potential in the market is concentrated in the top one-third of the customer base. Uh, it's the 80-20 it's the rule, it's just stretched out a little bit. So if, as you can see from this chart, the top 10% of the account base represents 25% of the potential volume. The next 10% represents about 17, and you round it out with another 12 for the top third. So that, that's a serious chunk of business. But salespeople's effort tends to be spread out across the account base. This is just a natural phenomenon, unless you do something about it, unless you restrict it. So you have a lot of activity over here on the right, right side of the chart. And confusing activity with achievement is another one of the big heat loss areas for the wine business. There's a tremendous lack of rigor and discipline around who, what accounts are we going to call on, what accounts are we going to ignore, what products are we going to focus on those accounts. So prioritization, segmentation, being very rigorous about this, using data to do it, not very sexy, is it? Not, not nearly as sexy as knowing all the crews of Beaujolais or you know, being able to pick out a wine in a blind tasting. That's great, but nobody makes any money until something gets sold. So balance that out with a little bit of this. So does this make sense? And so what you want to do is you want to keep people from going to the right side of this chart. And you actually are, are robbing from the company. You're getting diminishing returns. Uh, you put in a pound of effort, you, you get out half a pound of results. Who can afford to do that? Um, so, and here's another piece of this, um, my advice today. Stop treating all accounts like they're equal. Who does that best? Who treats all accounts like they're equal? What business entity? What tier of our industry? Distributor. Are there any distributed people in the room? No? Oh, I could, okay. Well, favorite metric? Uh, what's one of the favorite metrics of distributors? Account sold. They love to measure account sold. It tells you how many accounts are using your product. And as long as your account sold is going up, that's great. Here's the problem. Not all accounts are equal. I, which would you rather have? Two accounts that do 100 cases a piece a month or 40 accounts that do a, a case, one case a month? You can't live your life this way. You can't expect to meet your numbers if you're treating all accounts as they're the same. And there's this natural inertia to do that. Uh, distributors like, like to use it. Here's some better metrics. How about uh, sales per point of distribution? That's a, that's a good thing to measure. How about points of distribution against my target list where I've identified the 20%? How about uh, um, uh, engagement? Anybody measuring engagement? Here's what engagement is. 
uh, account that buys uh, a case of your Merlot, pours it by the glass, and as soon as it's done, they order another case of the Merlot, and as soon as that's done, they order another case. They order in January, they order in February, they order in March. How many engaged customers do you have? How many customers do you have, both on and off-premise, that are buying your products regularly? And see, if you run a distributor incentive, uh, a distribution incentive, guess what you're gonna ha guess what's, guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna get a ton of new accounts sold that are very, very temporary. We call this the one and done, and, and if you're not tracking, if you're not following up after that, you're just, you're just throwing away money. Um, and the modern tools that we're gonna talk to in a minute, CRM, RAD data, all these things, they help you monitor this stuff so that it doesn't happen. Um, I'm gonna talk about that, but don't treat all accounts as equal because they're absolutely not. The 80-20 rule is real here too. So let's talk about CRM, my favorite topic in the world. Whenever I ask people, hey, are you using CRM? I always get one of two same responses, never anything other. What CRM? That's the most common one I get. And then the other is yes. And even among the people who are using it, they're not really sure what to do with it. They don't know how to wring every last dollar out of it. CRM stands for Customer Relationship Management. The direct consumer people have been using it for years, using it well, they know all about it. But the, in the trade sales, right, and the salespeople are out are running around the country selling to uh, on-premise and off-premise accounts, they don't like to use it very much. And one of those, all kind of pushback, and I've heard them all, right? One is, oh, this is so big brotherish. That big brother is watching me. You bet your ass he's watching you. He owns the effing company. I mean, we gotta get over this. It, of course they're watching. Why wouldn't they be watching? When I was at Constellation, I had uh, 13 people on my team with an average base salary of $130,000, a $25,000 travel budget, a car allowance, plus all the health insurance stuff. This is an expensive tool to be using. You bet that I want to know exactly what's going on. You bet that I want to see the return on that investment. But somehow in the wine business, as long as you can tell a Chardonnay from Cabernet blind, you're good, you're covered. It's just crazy. So if you don't know about CRM, you need to pay attention to it. And if you do have it, don't, don't listen to all the excuses of why salespeople don't want to use it. Another one is, oh, well, you know, my customer data, my relationships, I've built these over the years. I'm not just going to put them into this system. And then and what if you fire me? And then, then somebody else is going to take all these all this information. That's just really silly. Uh, what you should do, this would be my response, you should go ahead and empty your bank account, mortgage your house, start your own company. That's what I did. You know, start your own company, uh, live off your own resources for three years. That way you don't ever have to fill anything out in CRM. But when you work for me, and you get a paycheck from me, and my name's on the bottom of the paycheck, you're going to use it, or you're going to work somewhere else. That is the attitude that you have to have. But again, you know, we're very soft in our industry. We, we don't like to be too tough. So I love uh, this analogy too. Uh, any, the, I wrote a blog post called What I Learned About Sales from Bass Fishing. Uh, it wasn't as popular because I realized not a lot of people follow professional bass fishing. It's a very niche thing, okay? But professional, like the whole idea of getting paid to fish seems fine, but it is grueling hard work. And like boxers, professional bass fishermen, they leave nothing to chance. They know exactly where to go to get the fish. They, they match the, the, the weight of the line with the lure that they're throwing. They throw certain things at sunrise and certain things as the day goes on. They move to lower depths as the sun comes up. They study water temperature, water clarity, contours of the bottom. Uh, you know, I used to think the fish finders were cheating because, you know, hey, I can see the fish. They're not, fish are not that stupid. Just because they're down there doesn't mean you, you can catch them. But professional fishermen don't leave anything to chance. 
and neither should you. If you've got uh, thousands of cases of wine to sell and you're just letting your salespeople run around and do wine dinners and jump in and out of cars with uh, distributor salespeople and no idea uh, how it's returning to the company, I, I don't feel bad for you. Because you've been, you've been spoke to this morning, even, even though most of you are half asleep. You can get the tape later. Anyway, this is what uh, a lot of people would say is a good day of fishing, right? Here's, let's, let's look at these. Those, the smallest ones, those are like one case. Uh, and people, boy, don't we celebrate when we get a, one restaurant bought our wine, they're gonna pour it by the glass, you know? We're so excited. Nobody gets anywhere selling things one case at a time. There'll always be somebody to do that. So maybe the biggest fish on here, call it three, three to five cases. But that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in where is the account that can do a thousand cases a month in banquets and by the glass? Because if I can get that one account, I don't know if it takes me six months. That, will, that is an efficient use of time. That is cutting out heat loss from the sales process. So you identify these and you, 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 can't, you camp out there. Uh, it's really not rocket science. The problem is it's just not very fun and sexy. Not really nearly as fun and sexy as the other part of the wine business. So go ahead and hire wine uh, aficionados, wine lovers, that's fine. But make sure that you balance it out with some good business acumen. And don't forget to sprinkle a few people in who may not have, you know, I have the palate of a wolf. I could never be a master sommelier, no matter how hard I work at it. But I've sold millions of cases of wine in my life and made a very good living for my family. So it's, it, you know, pay attention to good salespeople uh, that just because they don't have wine knowledge. Our business tends to attract a lot of the people that are interested in wine. Like, this is going to be great. I'm in the wine business. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's great, but it's also very, very expensive. Somebody is paying for those vineyards. Somebody's paying for all that inventory. You know, wine, the, the bulky thing wasn't entirely a joke. You know, wine is bulky. It's heavy. It's expensive to ship. It takes a lot of room. It doesn't keep. It has to, the volume goals have to be the number one business imperative. Take care of your volume, then you can work on some of the other stuff. Does that make sense? Is that my last slide? Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Facebook. Don't follow me in real life. That's creepy. Um, you sign up for my email list. That would be great. Um, I wanted to save time for questions, and I did. I saved seven minutes for questions. If I offended you, I'm sorry. But I, you don't have to be polit politically correct when you're right. Who has a question? Thank you. Uh, so, uh, microphones will be passed around. Yes, sir. Thanks. I was just wondering if there's anything you would add or, or change the approach for the spirit side, specifically. Oh, well, it's a great question. These disciplines, fishing where the fish are, not relying too much on distributors, measuring the right things, having the discipline and accountability that you need, that works for every consumer product. So, I just think it's especially uh, wacky for the wine because it's so much more complicated. And, and I know there's a Cicerone thing, and I have nothing against education, it's nothing against it. It's important, it's imperative. But it isn't what's going to deliver the business results. It's not enough. Questions? Yes. Hello. Um, I was wondering if you can name another industry that's similar to what we should look like. Mass market, pharmaceuticals, furniture, whatever. Oh, you don't, you don't have to look very far, but the first place I would look is the beer. Beer companies. The beer companies are much more disciplined about this. Beer companies don't sit around and do vertical tastings for hours on end and compare notes and 
That's not, they, they're, they're, the product isn't that complicated. So by nature, uh, it's much more transactional, but they're very, very good with the data. They keep very, very good track of the best accounts. They monitor everything. But most consumer product companies, uh, a lot of them will tell, like when you get in your car in the, in the day to, for a route, your route is prescribed for you. Your route is designed to be extremely efficient. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, et cetera. So there's no shortage of other examples. And then the second part is, would you say that the buyers of wine, the people that we're doing business with, are of the same bent as the vertical tasting, the sommelier mind, the artistic parts? I mean, I don't find that many business people sitting across from me in the chairs. Does that make sense? Uh, I, well, just, it depends. I mean, the higher up you go to the big chains, uh, and Katie can verify this, I mean, they are far less subjective in their selection process. They're very driven by data and facts. And if you want to sell your wine to Kroger, or you want to attest in Whole Foods, you better bring some business reasons for doing so. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret, okay? I, I walk in to any buyer, and I put down my bottle of Chardonnay. And what do I do, typically? I start talking about that Chardonnay. The, the slope of the hillside, how many hours of sunlight it got, the type of soil, Kimmeridgian. I'm just blowing you away with my knowledge of soil. Uh, the vines are planted this way. You know, we use this type of oak. We, oh, our, let me tell you about our oak regimen. And, and you go into all of that, and then you're like, and here's how often we stir the leaves, and, and blah, blah, blah. If you think you're, that is making your wine so distinct from the 10,000 other Chardonnays, you are smoking crack. There is just no way it's that distinct. You've got to get over yourselves on the quality of the wine. That's, that's important, right? But it's expected. It's compulsory. What, what buyers want to know, real buyers want to know, is is there a market for this? Who drinks it? How do you reach those markets? Will it sell through? Show me your social media following. You know, social media isn't just for teenagers with selfies. It is a serious, serious business tool. And if you don't know how to use it, some your competitors are going to beat your ass with it. So you have to uh, let go of talking about the product so much. It's just not, it doesn't get you, it doesn't get you the business results you want. Yes, question. Uh, you talked about camping out at the thousand case accounts. Um, you know, we're a small winery working with small distributors. Um, how does that change the strategy? Is it 100 case accounts that we're camping out at? Because I feel like in a lot of the large accounts, the doors close to the small guy. Oh, that's a common refrain. The, uh, you're driving down the road and you, you see this big new Marriott going up and the distributor shows up and says, oh, you can't go in there, that's all corporate. That's the biggest piece of bullshit ever. Um, having run national accounts teams for 17 years for the whole country, I can tell you with great certainty that 60% of the business done in chain hotels is done at the property level. Only about 40% of what's mandated at the top ever really gets executed. There is a long line of excuses of why you can't go in there. The buyer won't, the buyer won't deal with small distributors. The buyer won't, doesn't like to see people directly. Just don't believe any of that. Just tune it all out. There are thousands of salespeople right now calling on accounts without a distributor. Thousands of them. So you do the same. So my answer is uh, maybe starting an account that does a, maybe, maybe the Gaylord Texan might be too big of a fish for a small winery. But there are plenty of other uh, accounts that will easily go through five cases a week when you make the placement. And it takes time. It's all about the approach. There's a, you can't be a transactional, uh, you can't be, expect to be successful in sales selling anything if it's about the product and the transaction. Re take restaurants, for example. They care about three things and three things only. Growing revenue, reducing costs, and improving customer satisfaction. You want me to carry your Chardonnay? You show me how it's going to help me do one of those things. And I'll buy from you forever and ever. 
Don't sell the way most people sell. Don't talk about the product. They could use anybody's Chardonnay. So it, it's got to make it a, you know, a sale should be a byproduct of a much larger relationship. And that relationship should be based on solid business acumen and business partnership. I'm bringing you business. I'm helping you satisfy your customers. I will be there when you need me. Sometimes it's just a function of service. Because, you know, unlike uh, restaurants are very unique. Unlike a retail store where the stock is on the shelf, right? And well, a lot of times they're stocking a case at a time and you rarely run out. So you do sometimes. But in a restaurant, they don't keep very much on stock. They don't have room. So uh, being out of stock in a restaurant is, an, is a disaster. If you only have seven wines by the glass, and that is the national average of number of wines by the glass is seven. If you've got one high-end Cabernet by the glass and one mid-price Cabernet on the glass, by the glass and you run out of one of those, it's a disaster. So just, being, just showing up is, is important. I, there's a lot more to it, the sales approach thing, so I don't know if they answered your question. Okay, we got time for one or two, no? Anyone? Okay. Hi, Katie. Where Yeah, that's a great question. And one of the things I'll say is the way that salespeople are compensated today needs to change. The days of having a fat six-figure salary and all of that, it's just not practical. What you want to do is, uh, is find salespeople who will work on a modest base that will allow them to pay their basic bills and then put the rest of the compensation in the at-risk side where they can earn it. And because it's just like everybody else, you've got to get results if you, if you want it. So that's one popular trend. And I do some recruiting, so I'm always getting asked this question. Uh, if you start with the, with the idea that if it's important to you, you've got to do it yourself. You can't rely on distributors. So then you decide which accounts you want to be in, what types of accounts. There are companies out there that have like two or three salespeople for the whole country. Two people doing chains for the East Coast and the West Coast, and one person managing the business, which is the, you know, the, the pricing and the programming. So a good ratio is like for every three business unit managers you have running distributors and geography, you need at least one chain person or key account person. And do not believe the crap that the chains don't, won't see the small people. That is just absolute crap. There are people in there all the time. If you want, we'll take you right to the nearest uh, uh, Safeway and show you. It's just it's crazy. Okay, I think I'm out of time. Oh, no, I have 40 seconds. Did I thoroughly answer your question? Yes, one more. Oh, sorry, one more. Um, what CRM software do you recommend? Are there any that you think are crap? Well, it's like everything else. You get what you pay for. Uh, some are very, very feature-laden, and uh, the best ones integrate your RAD data to them. So I can pull out my phone. Well, it's in my briefcase. I can pull out my phone. It knows where I am at this convention center. And I can look to see what, uh, when's the last time they ordered, what they ordered, how many days it's been since the last order, who the buyer is, all this stuff. This is the power of CRM. So the good, best CRMs are mobile, mobile friendly, and they have a way to integrate the RAD data into them. Uh, the industry standard, I think, is Grapevines, and they're kind of paved the way, pioneered this. But there's others too. Uh, you know, VIP is uh, their, while their CRM is uh, simpler uh, and very easy to use, so it's great for getting lots of adoption. It's a good way to get into the CRM game. Uh, it sits on top of their own data, so it's, it's pretty good. So those are probably two of the, the better ones. And even if, uh, even if you don't, can't afford to have the RAD data attached to your CRM, 
you should still get some CRM. I'm a Salesforce guy. I love Salesforce.com. There's a reason they have the market share they do. That's the tool that I chose to become an expert in. I spent a lot of money and time learning to master it. So, uh, but the, uh, there are others too that are less expensive. But the idea is what you want is to be able to track what people are doing. You come up with your key account list, you hold people accountable for, for sticking, sticking there and not drifting off into to other, other stuff. That's a big, CRM's a big topic. Um, okay, I think we're out of time. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs>